my worst mistakes revolved around not evolving my psyche and my mental state in a manner that was allowing me to go forward and to grow and to be where I needed to be like 12 months ahead. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I've created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Mohan Balani. Mohan, are you ready to join the mission? Absolutely, Andrew. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you, and uh, we're practically neighbors in different countries, huh? Yeah. You, would just, you know we're close enough when we're talking about, is this weather affecting you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll introduce you to the audience. Mohan is the co-founder and CEO of E27 a startup and tech ecosystem platform focused on helping startup founders build and grow their companies. He believes that startups can make the world a better place. And in order for Southeast Asia's tech ecosystem to be relevant, it needs to be driven by sustainable and impactful companies solving problems at scale. He's invested in over 25 early stage funds and startups across Asia Pacific and US, and enjoys working with founders and helping them alleviate the challenges of building great companies specifically around the areas of talent, funding, and market access. Wow, Mohan, take a moment and help us understand the value that you bring to this world. Yeah, thanks again, Andrew, for having me. I mean, I was lucky that I spent a year in Silicon Valley, and one of the key things I, I observed over there was that Big problems needed to be solved by small, nimble teams that could innovate quickly, move fast, change direction, and try things that have never been done, right? And if you look at Southeast Asia, so when I was in the Valley, that was in 2006, 2007, you know, imagine a world with no Grab, no food delivery services, you know, everything was still pretty backward from a tech standpoint. And what, what made me realize is that if we wanted this entire region to get alleviated, to be put on the, on the global map, and to solve some of the biggest problems we had, it had to be done by startup companies that were small, nimble, and fast. Not the government, not the big corporate startup companies. So how can I then play a role right, in helping these companies solve some of these biggest problems? And that's why I decided to dedicate myself to this company, to, to early-stage companies specifically. And how do, how do companies come to you or you know, how do they come into your area of focus with E27? So a lot of the interactions that organizations have with us it's through our media portal where sometimes we would cover them depending on certain milestones they've achieved. Sometimes they will contribute content. Pre-COVID, a large part of the interaction would be from the conferences we run, the Echelon Conference, the Founders Drinks, the VentureCon events. And these days, I think it's really more of a play, right? Because in the last two years, we've had to pivot the entire business to be able to allow our service in a more scalable manner without the need for the offline events. Mm. And I'm just curious... You know, when you've looked at, you know, you've looked at a lot of startups and particularly in Asia, what do you think is the biggest challenge that these startups are facing these days? 
Yeah, so Asian companies, I mean, the, the challenges have been evolving very significantly in the last five years. But specifically today, right, you know, you've got a myriad of founders who've had years of experiences in corporate companies, in established startups elsewhere. You've also got more and more sophisticated group of investors. So starting up, right, has become a lot more competitive, a lot more challenging. And the expectations from startups are also a lot higher and more significant, right? Which makes starting up, you know, not as, as easy or as straightforward as it was before, but it also gives a certain uh, credibility, a certain sense to startup founders, right? That if they go and pursue a particular idea, or if there's a problem out there that they're itching to solve, it better jolly well be a good problem, you know, worth their time and worth the investors uh, putting in uh, the money into the companies and worth employees leaving their current roles for the founders. Mm. So startups have now turned from like a fad or, or something that, you know, you do maybe as, as, a, as a side thing or after school to something really, really serious, right? Where top executives from larger, some of the largest, most well-known companies are willing to leave their jobs, you know, risk it all and build companies to solve some of the problems they're passionate about. You know, one of the things about markets like the US is it's such a huge market. A single market, you know, 50 states, but still the same system of everything. Mm. When you look at Asia, one of the challenges, I'm sure, great startups in like Malaysia or Indonesia face or Thailand face is, you know, do we stay focused on our country or do we try to go regional or do we try to go global or whatever? I'm just yeah. curious, what is that for the, for the American listener, let's say, who's listening to this podcast and they, they know the American ecosystem. But in, in Asia, what's different about it, about what a founder is going to go through, you know, in Asia because of so many different countries and stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's, it's, it's very relevant now, especially since the rise of Web3, right? So if you think about it, I think in the past, the focus would have always been to build locally and be the dominant player locally. And that was very relevant for countries like Indonesia. You know, so if you look at most of the Indonesian unicorns, they have a very deep-seated home ground advantage locally. They typically expand deeply into the tier two, tier three, tier four cities. So not necessarily just focusing on the tier one cities. And they have hyper-localized features for the problem segments that exist in their local markets. Now, as Web3 companies have come out, the mindset has started to shift where you're actually building for a global audience from day one. So if you look at the, some of the popular Web3 companies like Axie Infinity, YGG that are based in Philippines, they have global uh, audiences right from the start. You know? So it kind of also depends on the product that you're building for. If you're building for a fintech solution where you're solving for a specific use case locally, then it kind of makes sense to, to focus on the local market. But I think more and more, right, entrepreneurs in this region have a global mindset. They want to be able to, to get users from around the world for their service. And they're not just purely looking at investing locally. And investors too are pushing founders to think that way. Investors are also expecting founders that by the time they, they hit their A round, they at least have a, a global plan or they've actually already branched out of their, of their local markets. And one last question for me about, you know, your whole area is like, obviously, you know, startups, many of them get funded initially by angel investors and friends and family. But when they start to rise up to getting to be bigger and they go beyond that, where are they raising money from? Is it coming from government funds? Is it coming from corporates investing? Is it, mm. is it coming from investment funds? I'm just curious, mm. like, what's your experience in that area? 
Yeah. So the fundraise, again, depending on the stage, but it started to shift with some of the angels where they've gotten, uh, you know, syndicate networks made up of maybe alumni of the Grabs and the Gojeks of the region. So syndicate networks are one of the main areas that startups raise fund on an early basis. Even for us, E27, we just launched a syndicate network ourselves and are currently syndicated in investment right now. So that's that's one of the, the new ways that founders have started to raise capital from because you get to tap on a, on not just funds, but you know the knowledge base, the relationships and the know-how from you know actual operators and founders in the space. And I guess and that, subsequently, extend, that, that extends the, the length of time or the amount of angel funding that you're getting also, I guess, compared to getting that funding from friends and family yeah. as an example. Yep. Okay. True. Yeah. And then subsequently, you know, you have to tap on the, the early stage VCs that are prevalent in the, in the entire ecosystem, right? And there are a significant number of them now regionally. A lot of them invest cross-regionally. You've got some that are hyper-local. So a lot of the Indonesian VCs are quite local. In the Philippines, you now have a, a few new investors, Foxmon Capital as an example, that exclusively invest in, in local companies. And I think that's very good for an ecosystem to have a, a dedicated investor base that is supporting the local ecosystem. Mm. Well, thanks for that update. I mean, it's great to, to get a little bit of your knowledge in this area. I know I have a lot of friends and there's plenty of listeners here that are so interested in the startup space. But now... It's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the yeah. circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah. So my, you know, when I was thinking about this question, right, I think the natural tendency would have, would have been to think about maybe financial mistakes that I did wrong, stocks that I bought or, or companies that I invested in. But when I was reflecting, you know, backwards, what I realized was that my worst mistakes revolved around not evolving my psyche and my mental state in a manner that was allowing me to go forward and to grow and to be where I needed to be like 12 months ahead. And it required a mental shift in, in terms of mindset, but it also, I feel, required a habitual, like a habitual shift in the way I was doing things on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. And I think this primarily happened in the days of like, in the years maybe around 2013 to 2015, in that period, where on some level, I was mentally and emotionally satisfied with the status quo without really investing in myself, my capabilities and my mindset to allow me to grow to the next level. And I think that shift really only happened around 2016. So in that sense, I think that my worst investment, right, if I summarize, right, would have been to not invest in my own personal self my own future and my own mental state to allow me to grow to the next level. So, Mohan, how about if we go back in time and we think about yourself at that moment and we mm. think about the obstacles that you faced at that time to going to the next. I mean, it's, it's when we look back, we think about it. But as you were sitting in that space, and let's just imagine a time that you were kind of stuck. Yeah. Why were you stuck? And I'm also thinking about our listeners. I know plenty of listeners feel sometimes like they're stuck. Yeah. Maybe you can explain, like, how did it feel at that time or what were the constraints that were keeping you stuck? Yeah. So there, there are a few things, right? I'll, I'll break them down in, in a few ways, right? I think on one level, there's the, you know, the hunger for, for innovating or doing more, right? And sometimes when you reach a certain state of maybe success, right, you feel like it's going to stay with you for a while and there's no need to push hard anymore. So I think that that desire to continue to be successful, to grow, that desire to push myself wasn't there and that had to be fixed, right? 
the second thing was the the mental state, right? And when I say mental state, what I actually mean is that you have to be surrounding yourself with the right people, people that are ideally that can allow you are, are able to help you grow to the next level. So ideally, people that are better than you, maybe have done it there before, and that comes with a certain level of attitude and a, and then also I think an ego check, right? You know, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room, right? So that that mental state, I think, is something I wish I had developed a bit better. And the last part would be systems. You know, what are the systems, the habits, the processes that you can put in place to get there? And I think at that stage of my life, I probably didn't want to get bogged down by structure. Just wanted to live too much of a carefree and uh, you know fun life. But I realized the importance of system and structure, right? Whether it was uh, you know spending my weekly uh, efforts doing journaling or planning out my week very clearly to look at what are the top few things I need to achieve and, and really assessing my life on a yearly and quarterly basis. Those are some of the things that I do now very, very actively. Mm. So those kind of habits, those kind of systems and processes, they take time to implement. You know, you, you have to firstly you know, read up and, and talk to enough people to understand, but you also have to put them into practice, which takes time. So, so these three things have to come together and like I said, in that few years that I of my life, I, I felt that I, I didn't have that. And maybe my, my value at that stage in life was to realize that maybe time wasn't that important to me as opposed to it is now. So from that standpoint, I think I wasted those uh, important years. And uh, one last question I have about that time is, was there a particular wake-up call? Like, you know, I don't know, some friend called you out or you realized that you let some people down or something like that, that, that kind of made you wake up and think, holy crap, I need to change this. Yeah, so there were, there were many things, right? There were multiple factors, in fact, that came together. The first part is that the company that I was running really wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And then we had to let go of a significant number of, of people, right? But that was a simple, or I would say a simpler problem. The second issue really was that I was actually, uh, from a lifestyle standpoint, uh, leading a very unhealthy and unsustainable life, you know? It was everything from, you know, not exercising, not eating cleanly, smoking too much, not sleeping well. And I read a book, Thank You For Not... Sorry, was it Thank You For... How, how to... I'll find the title of the book soon. But mm. that book really made me realize that my mental state was at a lower level than most other people around. And if I wanted to be, you know, delivering the best for my organization, for my investors for my employees, even for myself, there was a significant amount of change and fixes I had to make, mm, right? Mm. So, so everything from quitting smoking, leading a, a healthier lifestyle, and really focusing on the, the things in the, that were more important and putting my time, right, to areas that were critical and important was the shift I had to make. Right. So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? Yeah. So just for everyone's sake, the book that I was mentioning about was Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Uh, yeah, very uh, cliched <laughs> smoking book, but very, very powerful, right? And the only way it will work is if you're ready to do it, right? Sorry, could you repeat the last question again? So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience? Yeah, so from a lesson standpoint, I think sometimes you you need a, a bit of a jolt, right? An external uh, feedback to, to get you moving. But the very first thing I, I felt like sh- I, I, people need to do or I need to do better, right, is to not rest on my laurels. You know, change is constant, right? If you want to continue to main, remain relevant, if you want to continue to grow, and if you want to continue to be a, 
a relevant contributor to society, you need to be constantly adapting and evolving. And the moment you feel that, oh, I've, I've, I've done it all, or I, I think this is it, or, or I'm really good at wherever I am, I think that's, that's a detriment. And the other big thing that for me was realizing that the true currency of life is not money. Money is important, yes. It does bring a certain amount of happiness, comfort, and stability. But the true currency of life is time. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll share a couple of things that, that I thought about it. You know, it's, just, it's interesting that somebody else has mentioned this book to me. And I'm not a smoker, but there was something mm. about this book that they highlighted was really good. And it, I'm just curious about how that particular book helped you. Yeah. So the, the, the beauty of the book is that, firstly, the, the author himself is an extremely heavy smoker. But the beauty of the book was that it was able to communicate with you, the reader, and in a language that you could completely relate to. And it was a psychological rewiring of your relationship with the cigarette. Mm. You know, it wasn't like a health book, right? Or smoking chaos is bad, we know. It was really going to the fundamental root and making people realize psychologically that what they were suffering from was a nicotine addiction and they needed to break that relationship or that habit with cigarettes. And until uh, a person who's actually uh, smoked for a long time, you can't converse or have a conversation about a non-smoker with this because it's very hard for them to understand. Mm, yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll uh, share some thoughts that I have based upon what you've talked about. I think the first thing is, I think for all of the listeners out there, it's really critical to take care of your health mm. because sometimes people get caught up in drinking and smoking and staying out late, not getting enough sleep, not getting exercise, getting overweight, eating unhealthy food. And it's amazing how these things can move fast Absolutely. on you. And when you're young, your body can kind of compensate for it. But as you start to get older, it's key. And without that, then you've got nothing. So that's the first thing that I think you remind me to stay focused on keeping good health. The second thing is you talked about systems and habits also. And I think that that's a way of really start to build your life around it. Good Habits, of course, The Power yep. of Habit is a great book. Atomic Habits is a great book. But the, the point is trying to build some good habits into your life. Like you mentioned before we turn on the recorder that you're going to go for a run in the afternoon. Yep. You know, from smoking and maybe living an unhealthy life to having a habit of going out and exercising. It's amazing. I think a lot of people that are caught up in a very busy life have lost touch with how much value good health, good exercise and good sleep and good eating can add to your productivity and mm. to your sense of well-being. Because when you are feeling not that strong, now it goes back to that first point that you made, which is that you, know, you start getting comfortable and you, you start missing what's really going on around you. And I think that awareness you start to really get. So I think a lot of what I'm taking from what you talked about is the idea of Take care of yourself and be aware of what's going on with your ego, what's going yeah. on with your drive, and all of that stuff. Yeah, and Andrew, to add to yeah, to add to that, right? Like, it's one thing to have the desire to change or to do something positive. Like, someone might wake up tomorrow and say, "Oh, I want to be healthier," right? Or, "I want to be, I want to start exercising." It's really important, right, to build the systems and processes to support that, right? And for me, the systems and processes that have worked have typically been 
to A, invest in equipment that are high quality, right? That allow me to enjoy the experience. So I'm, I'm the kind of person that will be willing to spend $250 on a good quality pair of shoes, a running shirt and, and shorts, because it's part of the experience for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to feel amazing while I'm doing it, right? The second thing is coming up with a system that makes sense for you, right? For some people, you know, we were discussing earlier, running in the morning makes sense. I'm an evening runner. So what I literally do is every Sunday, I plan out over the week. When am I going to do my runs? When am I going to, let's say, go to the gym? Schedule it into the calendar, like the way I would schedule, let's say, this call with you and commit to it. And it's, it's, it's open and visible to everyone in the team. So if I'm going for a run later and say six, right? It's like I'm going for a meeting and I, and I commit to that, right? And finding people to do it with is tremendously helpful. Whether is it a buddy, whether it is it joining an exercise or running club, whether is it paying someone to maybe uh, give you personal training, it really, it's, it's a next level of the commitment because now someone else is in the game as well. Lots of golden advice there. And I'm going to take part of that advice. You know, normally on Sundays, I take my mom out to uh, buffet breakfast and we go to like a hotel in a nice place. And it's a special time and we enjoy it. And I always bring my planner to kind of say, before I have breakfast, I'm just going to sit there and map out my week ahead. So I take 10 minutes, but I never fill in my exercise. I'm always filling in, okay, my meeting, my calls, Mm. my this, my that. But starting from this Sunday, and I challenge the listeners also, starting from this weekend, start to pre-plan when you're going to do your exercise. And that, I think, is a great habit and system to bring into your life. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So let me ask I hope that works, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now I want to go into the mind of a young person right now who's struggling at this point, that kind of where you were before you moved into a better place and ask you this question that based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend that person to take to avoid suffering the same fate? You know, sometimes you have to go through the downs, right? To appreciate the ups, right? There was a term that I used to use in E27 a lot, right? Which is don't avoid failure, just learn to deal with it and handle it better, right? And I think if whatever actions that you're doing is going to result in you failing, it's better that it happens quicker and you realize that faster and then figure a way out around it and then bounce back earlier. Right? So I, I actually don't encourage people to avoid the aspect of failure. Mm. I, I would encourage them that, okay, once you've hit that state where you're down, figure out skills and tricks to very quickly bounce back up. And there are a few things that, that work well for me, right? At that point in time, right? One is having honest transparent conversations with my team and my stakeholders, right? Two, it was like, you know, psychologically, right? The problem wouldn't be getting solved if I kept harping on it or, or feeling down about it or, or even whining about it. At some point, right, I had to give myself that time to get upset, but then lay out an action plan and take actions, mm-hmm. right? And the third thing is that I, I felt that talking to people, uh, especially people that were within my social circle that, we're at a similar stage, right? Like there's no point talking to someone who's maybe a bit too senior or in a different stage in life, right? Because then they will be recounting stuff from too long ago. But people who have had similar problems, you start to realize, right, that your challenges and your problems are not unique. And you don't start to feel so bad about yourself. Mm. And you start to get a, a sensing of how different people 
solve their problems in their own unique ways. And then you realize actually it's very doable. Yeah. It's not as bad as it seems, right? You know, there's a happiness shed is happiness double, sadness shed is sadness halved. And when you share your problems and your burdens with people, it feels like actually it's a lot easier to, to get them fixed. Mm. Great advice. So for the listeners out there and viewers also, make sure that you share when you are in a difficult position because as Mohan says, you don't have to go down deep into trouble. Try to get that awareness so that you can get out. So what is a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Ah, Okay, so the book that I read a while back, I can't remember how it was recommended, but it's actually a very old book. And it was, uh, it was deemed too, too ahead of its time when it was first published, which was way back in 1938 by Napoleon Hill. And the name of the book is called Outwitting the Devil. Mm. It's a fictional conversation between a person and supposedly devil, right? And then the book doesn't make clear whether is that the physical incarnation of the devil or is it his mental state, right? But it talks about principles of life that humans should follow and do. And it really revolves around purpose creation, how to continue to move forward, how to master yourself and your own destiny. And mind you, right, this book was written like way before the World War, right? So it was really a, a book that has stood time from a quality standpoint. And I think that book, that really helped me rethink a lot of my own purpose and what, what is it that I wanted to do. Great advice. And one of the challenges of this podcast for me is, and I know for my listeners, is that we get so many great book recommendations and now <laughs> I try to get through them. But this is one I've heard about before and I just haven't. And I've heard that it's good on the Audible, like a download. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it and, and take your advice there. And I challenge all the listeners to do that. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Oh, okay. So I, I, I guess a couple of years ago when COVID hit, the main goal was really to survive and hopefully come out stronger, right? And I'm very uh, glad to share that even on a professional and personal level that has happened. I think for me this year, the goals really have got to do on the professional side with letting go of a lot of the things that I've been heavily involved in and starting to do new things, right? To really change the dynamic of the company or, or bring it forward, right? And I think sometimes if you're in firefighting mode for too long, you just start to lose a sense of where the fire actually is, you know? And I think that's, that's something that has happened to me for quite a while. And now I want to take a step back, look at new opportunities, explore new things, partly also because it's a lot of fun, but also I think the timing is right. On a personal level, I think... I want to ideally be ready for a state, right, where I'm going into the next phase of my life. I mean, I turn 40 next year. I go into the next phase of my life in the best possible physical, mental, and emotional state possible, mm. right? So in, in investing in, my, in my, my personal health, my mental health, my physical state, so that I can tackle the, the challenges of the next 10 to 20 years of my life as best as I can is, is something that I'm very, very focused on. You know, so that involves a really exercising regularly, eating as clean as I can, like I get a, a meal plan, and even investing in a lot of the relationships that I've neglected over the last few years. Mm, fantastic. And that's great, really great advice for everybody is to invest in yourself and in the next phase of your development. So I love it. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. 
As we conclude, Mohan, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? My parting words for everyone is to, the faster you realize that time is the ultimate currency and everyone has the same amount, I think the, the better quality of a life, I will hope you lead. Boom. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, thanking you for joining our mission. And I'll see you on The Upside.